How are you this morning? Good to see everybody here today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us today. Let me welcome our campuses that are joining with us. Uh, whether you are in Henderson or Cordova or Craneville or Savannah today, we welcome you. We're glad you're part of this day, and we're believing that God's going to minister to you today right where you're at by the power of His Holy Spirit as we break forth the Word of God today. So I'm going to encourage all of us to take our Bibles today and go to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. And, and here's today, uh, we've been talking about significant Christianity over the past several weeks. We've been talking in the whole aspect of how that you and I are called by Jesus Christ to live lives of significance. <clears throat> but here's what I found in a lot of Christians' lives is that day in and day out, we live life pretty much like the rest of the world. Now think about that for a minute and think how, how, how we translate life and we translate living. Uh, it, it's this whole aspect even right now in a lot of people's lives is that they're really, really messed up and they're worried about what's happening in the economy, right? How, how many of you have seen some negative reports in the last, I don't know, two years, all right? Uh, you know, I, I've got to where I don't even look anymore because I don't want to know how much money I've lost, all right? And, and so you, we, we begin to live life from that, that perspective of our trust is in what's happening in the economy. Our trust is in what's happening with the government. Our trust is in here. And the day I want to talk about, my subject today, is it's a matter of trust. But I want to kind of get our attention uh, on the right place to be trusting in. Have you ever seen a little child, uh, maybe with their father or their mother, uh, usually this is a dad thing, moms don't usually do this, uh, but a dad will take that little child and they'll set them up on something high. Ever seen that? And then they'll back off and they'll say, jump. Right? Ever, ever, come on, have you ever seen that? How I did that to my kids a lot. I did a lot of things to my kids. That's a... That's a whole other deal. And I'd put them up there. I'd say, jump. And, and you know what? That one-and-a-half, two-year-old kid, guess what they do? They just jump, don't they? Why? Because they trust that that mom or that dad or that person who's telling them to is going to catch them. Now, I promise you, if you let them hit the ground and break their arm, the next time you set them up there and go, jump, they're going to go, you big dummy. I'm not jumping, all right? But here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen, is that we serve a God who we can trust. We serve a God who is intimately involved in our lives. And whether it's in something that's going on in our family or something that's going on in the world or something that's happening in our finances, we have a God that we are able to trust in Him. The Word of God tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not to lean to our own understanding, but to acknowledge Him in all of our ways, and, and He's going to be there. His life, His power is going to direct our steps from that point on. So today, I, I want to kind of turn our attention in the book of Luke here, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse number 10. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And then he begins to explain what he's talking about. This is Jesus. He says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or the unrighteous money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. Now, we, we read that in Scripture, and we understand that at some level. In fact, if you've got any money in your pocket, I'm not taking an offering, but if you've got any money in your pocket, on the back of your money, guess what it says? In who we trust. In God we trust. But you know what I found out? I found out a whole lot of people are, are trusting in Hamilton and Benjamins and Abe Lincoln and right? And yet, even our currency back in the 50s, we decided to say, in God we trust. And now here we are, and because the economy's doing this and then doing that and then doing the other, we, we have forgotten and we think that we are serving Jehovah whatever instead of understanding that the Bible says that you are serving Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God your provider. And here's what I'll tell you about God. If you trust in Him, He will not fail you. And so it's all about a matter of trust. See, money is a temporal trust that God has given to us to help us to prepare for something that is much greater and something that is much more eternal than money is. Uh, and, and what I've learned through the years is, is that giving is an extension of our lives. It really is part of who we are. And, and so, in fact, the Bible says it this way in Acts, the 20th chapter and the 35th verse. He says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. This is the apostle talking to us. And he said, and remember the words of Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Now, here's what I found out. And let me help you with that because some of you just go, that doesn't make sense. You know, some of you, any of you grew up in homes where they did corporal punishment? Do you understand corporal punishment? Where they applied the, you know, the ruler of learning to the backside of the, anybody? And did any, any of your parents ever have you, have this saying to you when they got ready to do that, that this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? And I just, all, I, I tried it one time and it wasn't wise. I just looked at him one time and said, well, why don't we just not do it and we'll both feel better. <laughs> I always had a smart mouth. Anyway, uh, but this is kind of one of those scriptures. You know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Come on, God, what does that mean? But, but understand this. In the sense of you have to know that if you are, have the capacity to give, it is because you have already received. So the reason it's more blessed to give than it is to receive is because as it comes into my life, I have already received the blessing that I need, and now out of the residue of what's left over, I'm able to give and to bless somebody else, and that's what it's all about. And so when I come to that place of trusting God, of really selling out, of not, not trusting in what's in my pocket, but really trusting in God Almighty, then I'm like that child who when God says, jump, 
I just jump. I just do what God's told me to do. Now, let me give you a couple of things that it means in this aspect of our finances and the aspect of our life. What does it mean to truly trust God? First of all, 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says this, and not only as we had hoped. Now, he's talking about uh, an offering that was being taken. He said, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, for the sake of time, I won't read that entire setting, but it's the church of Macedonia, who was a very poor church. In fact, they were in the depth of poverty. The Scripture goes ahead and talks about that they were having severe trials and all these things that were going on. But then the Apostle Paul writes, and he said, hey, guys, let me tell you something about this church in Macedonia. He said, first of all, they gave themselves. If you really are going to trust God, you first of all have got to give yourself. You, you can't hold back part of you. It's interesting how many people want to trust Jesus as Savior, but don't want Him as Lord. Well, I want you to save me, but I don't want you to be the Lord. Understand, if He is the Lord, that means He's in control. I saw somebody pull up in the parking lot the other day, and they had one of those, those license tags that just always, I go, can you not get a better one? And it says, God is my co-pilot. And I just went, nope. You saw, I thought that was good. No, he is either the pilot or he's not on board. See, that, that's the whole aspect of is that, first of all, is I have to give myself. And the churches at Macedonia did that. The scripture said they were, they were poor, they were destitute, they were going through all kinds of things. But the Word of God says that as they gave, that there was overflowing joy and rich generosity that came out of them. Now, I want to tell you something. I want overflowing joy in my life. I would love it to be said about Love and Truth Churches that we are people who have overflowing joy. You know how we do that? We do that by giving ourselves away. We do that by giving ourselves to God and say, Lord, it's all you. I am no longer, the Bible, in fact, the Scripture says it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living anymore. I've given myself away. But that's not all that we have to do. 1 Chronicles 29, 14 says this, But who am I and who are my people, the prophet says, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. He said, how, how, who are we and how are we able to just so willingly give? He goes on to say, for all things come from you. All things come from God. And of your own we have given you. The second thing we've got to do is that we've got to transfer ownership of everything we've got. See, that, that scripture there in 1 Chronicles is kind of like, how many of you remember when your children were smaller, or they may still be in this age, where when it's birthday time for one of the parents or, or Christmas time, uh, they, they don't have any money. You know, they're 45 and they, no. You know, they're 83 and they're 70, you know, what, whatever the age group is. And, and, and they would come in. And they would kind of mull around the house, and they they kind of want, and then they'd say, I, "I need some money. What for? Well, to go buy you a present, <laughs> right? Did you? Did my kids the only one done that? You know, give them money, and they go buy us. That, that's what this scripture is saying. In other words, whatever you give back to God, it was His anyway. 
So we, we've got to come to that place that we understand that we are God's bank. Think about that for a minute. Kind of, kind of picture that for a moment. We are the managers at God's bank. Let's say in t- today that you've got $5,000 in your purse or your wallet, and uh, God bless you if you do. And, and as you leave today, you say, you know what, I really don't need to carry this much cash around. And so tomorrow morning you get up and you go to the bank. And you open an account, you open a savings account, and you put this $5,000 in that savings account. Two weeks later, a month later, a year later, whatever, you go back to the bank and you say, I want to withdraw my money. The bank looks at you and says, oh, by the way, we're sorry, but we spent your money. Now, how many of you know you would be not very blessed at that moment? Right? I mean, come on. You, how many of you know that at that exact moment, your blood pressure would rise a little? That, that you might get a little irritated and say, I want to see the, bre- the branch president. I want to see everybody. I want to know who, where is my money. I mean, you'd get that, you know, Tom Cruise, they'll show me the money. I mean, it was, right? Why? Because the bank is just a manager of your finances, of your resources. Guess what? Everything you own, everything that has been given to you as a believer is not yours. It's God's. And that's hard for us to understand, but we need to come to the day where we understand that there's been a wealth transfer from the heavenlies into our life. I mean, do we really believe this or do we just live this? Uh, listen, if, if we really believe that everything is God's, then why do we hold on to things so tightly? Why are, are we not living life as the manager instead of the owner? And so, here's the, do you remember in the story of Abraham and Isaac that God had promised Abraham a son. That son finally comes in his old age. Finally, this son has grown up now. He's 14, 15, maybe 20 years of age. And uh, God shows up one night and says, hey, Abraham, take your son, uh, your only son, I want to make specific here, your only son Isaac, and offer him as a sacrifice. I've read that scripture and the, the passage there on many occasions. The Bible says, and the next morning Abraham arose to take Isaac to sacrifice him. And I've read that, and I go, how can you do that? I mean, I would have argued all night long. Right? I mean, in fact, when I would have heard that word, I would have been rebuking the devil. That can't be God. That's a devil. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Right? I mean, you, you, we, we would have that whole thing going on. And yet Abraham just goes, okay, all right, if God wants him. And in fact, Hebrews says that in the mind of Abraham, that Abraham had already killed Isaac and and it was already a done deal. Why? Because Abraham understood that everything he had came from God and God owned it all. And if God wanted it back, See, that's, that's why sometimes when we look at people, uh, you know, who will, who will become missionaries or, or they'll go into to certain types of, of, of living and we know they can maybe be making a lot of money and, and they will work for a nonprofit or whatever. We go, how could they do that? Maybe it's because God spoke to them and they understood it wasn't theirs anyway. And they just did what God has called them to do, understanding that they are the managers of what God has entrusted to them. So how do we as believers, how do we move through this process and move forward in what God has called us to? I want to talk to you a little bit about giving this morning. Now, I know I do that at peril and risk to my own life. You know, I, I know that, that anytime a pastor talks about giving, 
uh, people uh, get real nervous, and that's when you get those fun little anonymous notes and emails. But I'm going to talk to you about it anyway because I really sense that the Lord wants to speak to us in this time of economic uncertainty so that we understand that the stock market is not our source, that God is our source. That God is the one who we are trusting in, that we really are trusting in Him. And so as I've studied Scripture, I find basically three levels of giving. The first level is what I will call the level of obedience. Uh, that's in our tithing. Uh, the, the Word of God says in the book of Malachi, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, In what way have, you, have we robbed you? And God says, In tithes and offering. Now, what's a tithe? A tithe just means a tenth portion. Or, the, or uh, one, one scripture talks about, or scriptures in the Old Testament talks about a first fruit, which is the first part of our finances. Now, you say, Pastor, why should I be a tither? Well, number one is God said to. So it's just this level, okay, here's the lowest level for a Christian. Now, I'm not talk if, if you're not a believer today, I'm not talking to you. But for a believer, for a Christian, for ones who's in relationship with Jesus Christ, the lowest level of giving is just the level of obedience, just doing what God says. Why do I tithe? I tithe because it sanctifies everything else I've got. They tell us that a $20 bill, this is what I have in my pocket because I got it from my wife. <laughs> they make fun of me in the office because I have to go borrow lunch money from my wife. But anyway, uh, they tell us that a $20 bill, by the time it's in circulation for six months, has cocaine residue on it. Now, don't any of you start looking for it and start sniffing. <laughs> All right? This $20 bill that I hold in my hand, it could have been used for anything under the sun. It could have been used to have bought a hit to kill somebody. It could have been used to rent a motel room to shack up with somebody. It could have been used to, you know, to buy a six-pack. So, you know, I mean, it could have been used for anything. But when I bring my tithe into the storehouse, what I do is, is that I sanctify, I set apart all the rest of my resources unto God, acknowledging that God is the owner of everything that I have, and I am just now saying, God, I honor you with my first fruits, and I bring that into the house. Second level of obedience or, or of giving is the level of faith. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. Now watch this. He's talking about the church at Jerusalem concerning a special offering for them. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now Apostle Paul's kind of strong here. He's, he's saying to the church at Corinth, I told the Galatian church to do it. Now you do this also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, he's not talking about their normal giving. In this scripture, go research it, go look at it. He is talking about something above. He is talking to them about a level of faith. This was a special offering being taken up for the church at Jerusalem who was going through persecution and tribulation. And the apostle Paul said, look, I know that you weekly bring your tithes and your offerings because every good Jewish believer did that. But he said, now I want you to move to another level. It's kind of like baby steps. You know, it's, it's just move. So I'm, I move from obedience to faith. And you know what? Here's what the scripture says, faith without works is dead. 
So sometimes you just got to take that next step. Sometimes you've got to kind of look at everything and say, okay, I've been obedient. Now I want to move to that next level of faith. But there's a third level that scares most of us silly. And that's the level of sacrifice. That's the level of what, what sacrifice means is this. Let me just give you a definition for sacrifice. Sacrifice means giving up something I love for something I love more. A couple of three years ago, I went to the doctor and they did a, a battery of tests on me and they said, uh, uh, they, they came back to my office one day, the doctor did, and sat down and he said, well, I've got good news and bad news. I said, well, let's have it. And he said, well, he said, the, the, the good news or the bad news is, is that your cholesterol's out of whack, your, your blood sugar's out of whack, and he went through all these things. And he said, uh, he said here's the deal. He said, you, you are on the way to being a diabetic. You're on the way to having a stroke or a heart attack. He went through all these things. And uh, I said, is that the bad news or the good news? He said, that's the bad news. I said, what's the good news? He said, well, the good news is it can all be reversed. I said, how do we reverse it? He said, lose weight. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you know what I did? I lost weight. Why? Because I gave up a lot of things that I loved at that time of my life for something I love more, which was hanging around here for a few more years and being healthy. See, that's what sacrifice is all about. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3 and 4 says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, that sacrifice, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He's saying, look, this church gave not just what they had, they gave above and beyond. And I want to tell you, when it comes to that part of life, when you come to that place where God speaks to you about sacrifice, it will freak you out. I've had people say, well, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and, and you know, I always want to be a cheerful giver. I want to tell you something. If you always only give when you're cheerfully, you're not giving much. I mean, I've given sometimes that I've been crying. What's wrong with y'all? I mean, I've been going, oh, really? Now, I got spiritual later and said I was watering my seed. But, I mean, I mean I've had those moments. I, I can still remember the first time that Sherry and I, after we got married, where I really felt like God spoke to us to sacrifice. When Sherry and I got ready to get married, we were going to have a, a, a church wedding and all, this, all the frills and all the stuff. And, and I still had a couple of years of college left. And, and her dad came to us and said, he said, you can have this big wedding. Or he said, I, I'll give you $3,000 and you can just get married in our house and, and you'll have the money. And I said, uh, I wasn't real brilliant, but I said, that makes sense to me. And so uh, we got married at Sherry's house and her dad gave us a check for $3,000. Hallelujah. In fact, I need to talk to him about maybe another one. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> And, and uh, we went to college, and Sherry was working. Sherry worked for A&P. Anybody ever remember A&P grocery stores? Uh, she was making, I think, $2 an hour or something. And, and I worked for a place called Roses. Anybody ever heard of Roses? Oh, a few of you. You must be from Mississippi or Alabama or somewhere. Um, I was in Jackson, Mississippi, working at this place called Roses that was about three or four steps below Walmart. All right, so we, we didn't have much money. Let's just say it that way. We, we lived in a, a, a little house that, that the guy that we were renting from 
had, had found a cell, I'm not kidding you, had found a cell on yellow paint, bright yellow paint, every room in the house. What's wrong with y'all? I'm just reliving my good old days. Every room in the house was bright yellow. And so we're sitting in service one day, and the pastor begins to talk about a new campus that they're wanting to build. And, and I was sitting there, and at that point, we had a little bit less than $2,000 still in the bank. And I felt the Lord speak to me about giving that $2,000. And I went, no, nah, that's just crazy. Kind of, you, is, have you ever watched a pitcher and a catcher? I'm, I'm just shaking off the signals going. <laughs> no, I don't want that pitch. <laughs> I'm going, are you, are you serious? No, I, I don't want that. And, and um, we, we were driving back to that little old yellow, yellow painted house that night. And, and uh, I said, I think the Lord wants us to give all that money in the bank. And I don't think Sherry bore witness with that. And anyway, to make a long story short, over the next few weeks, we prayed about it. We both came into agreement with it, and we gave it. It was the scariest. I mean, now, since then, I've given larger amounts, but I want to tell you, I think that was the, the most fearful I ever was in giving. And Why? Because it was the first time that as, as an adult, I had really sacrificed. I had really gone above and beyond and just released it to the Lord and said, Lord, you're in control. But you know what? Over those next two years, Sherry and I can tell you time after time after time where we saw God show. I mean, I can remember one time the whole bottom part of her car came out. All the exhaust system just fell. She, she was from Illinois and all the salt had eaten everything. And it just fell out one day. Took it to the place and I forget the amount. Whatever the amount was, we didn't have it. Went to my post office box at the college, opened it up. There was a letter in there that I was not expecting. Opened up the letter. There was a check. Guess how much it was for? Exactly the amount that we needed to pay for the car. I saw that time and time and time and time again and have seen it continually since then. Why? Because if my trust is in me or my trust is in my bank account, I'm always going to be fearful. But if my trust is in God and I will do what God has called me to do, then he becomes Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, my provider in every part of my life. So here, here's what I found out, is that generous living produces great dividends. And I, I found people, how many of you know somebody, let me ask you and those watching as well, how many of you know somebody who is a generous person? Would you hold your hand up? I see most of us know somebody, maybe it's you. you, you may be a generous person. Here's what I found, I found out three things about generous people as I, I close today. Number one is, generous people have exchanged dissatisfaction for gratitude. They, they, they just said, wait a minute, I'm not going to be dissatisfied all the time. Do you realize how blessed you really are? Well, I'm, I'm driving a 1982 Volkswagen. Do you know how many people walk everywhere they go? Well, I, you know, I, the, the house that I'm living in, the air conditioner doesn't work good. Do you know how many people don't have a clue what air conditioning even is? Do you realize that you can walk to the tap, turn the water on, and not be afraid to drink it? Do you know how many countries in the world you can't do that in? 
Do you realize we, we have missions works in the Philippines and in Belize and in Uganda and in Kenya, and, and I, I am constantly amazed how often that we get a report from our pastors and, and their families of how many of them, sometimes four and five times a year, they'll wind up with malaria, they'll wind up with typhoid, they'll have all kind of things happen to them simply because they do not have access to the medical advances that we have in our Western society. And then we complain? Really? Come on. You are blessed. You may not have everything you want, but you need to exchange dissatisfaction for gratitude. The Bible says it this way. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. We need to learn to develop an attitude of gratitude. The second thing I found out about generous people is that they have exchanged getting for giving. Truly generous people are looking for opportunities to bless somebody. And they bless them with their time, they bless them with their talents, and they bless them with their treasure or their finances. I see people all the time who may not have a lot of material wealth, but they go out of their way to listen to people. They go out of their way to bless other people. Why? Because they have understood that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Here's, here's what I mean by that. We need to learn to live with an open hand. They tell the story, and I, and, and I assume it's true. I grew up in Africa, as most of you know. They said in, in years gone by in Africa to trap a monkey, what they would do is, is that they would get a container that the, the, the front part of it would be smaller than the back part, and they would put something shiny in there that the monkey could see and that, it, that with its hands open it could reach in. But it would reach in. They would tie this container down. The monkey would reach in, seeing whatever bauble it was that they wanted, and they would grab a hold of it, and they would pull. And now that they've made a fist, their hand would not come back out. And they said literally the monkey would not let go of what they had grabbed until somebody came along and captured them. Now, I'm not saying that Christians are a bunch of monkeys. But I am saying, in fact, let me, let me ask you to do something. Would you take both of your hands right now and would you just squeeze them as tight as you can? Come on, make a tight fist. You feel the strain in that? Now, open them up. Just release them. See, we need to be people who live with open hands. We need to be people who are more concerned about giving than we are about getting. And the third and final aspect that I found about generous people is that generous people exchange hype for reality. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Do you realize how much the media daily sells us a bill of goods? Come on. Listen, I like nice things. You know me well enough to know that. I think we ought to build the best buildings we can. I think we ought to drive as nice a car as we want, live in a nice home. But I, but I want to tell you, all of those things don't make you any better or any worse than someone else. It really doesn't matter if you've got an alligator on your shirt or a horse on your shirt or a mosquito on your shirt. <laughs> it just means you might have paid a little bit more, but it really does not change who you are. Listen, I've done it all. I've bought the fast cars. I've bought the fast motorcycles. I've wore the clothes, still will. It's fine. I don't have a problem with any of it. But I want to tell you, Madison Avenue is not going to define who I am. 
just because I don't have a certain kind of clothes to wear or a certain kind of vehicle to drive does not make me any less than somebody else who has it. Why? Because my identity is not wrapped up in what I have. My identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The Word of God says that I know in whom I have believed, and I know that He is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. And what that means is this, is that in my life I have determined that Jesus Christ is everything. And so if I can buy the nice clothes and live in the nice house, great. But you know what? And I think I have proven this, Sherry and I have through the years. If God wants it all tomorrow, He can have it because it's His. And I've seen the example of this in, in so many ways, but, but let me just share with you just quickly as I close today one example recently that happened. We just finished uh, a couple of years ago, we were in Kenya, and we finished a, a pastor's conference, and when I'm done with those conferences, I am exhausted because you, you give everything you've got day after day, and, and you speak numerous times a day. And, and so I had gone over to the side just to sit down and drink some water and try to just get my brain together. And, and the leader of our group there walked to the front, and he said, today, and I, was, I wasn't really listening, I'll be honest with you, because I was just kind of focusing on getting out of there and getting back to Nairobi. And he said, today, we want to be a blessing. And, they, and you don't do this, but they always call me Apostle Eddie. And we want to be a blessing to Apostle Eddie Couples in Cherry. And I thought, well, that's lovely. They're going to clap. They're going to, I didn't know what they were going to do. He said, we're going to take an offering. And I went, no. I mean, in my spirit, I just went, no. Because I knew that a lot of those people who had come to that meeting over 250 pastors and their wives, I knew that most of them, the best food that they had had probably all year long was the food that we had given them at this conference. I knew that the place that they were staying, which I dare say none of us would live in, was the nicest place that any of them had ever stayed. And I had seen them. Some of them had walked for days to get there. And I am sitting there going, no, Lord, I don't want their money. And I watched them as they, not, I mean, it was, it was a rush. It was an excitement. They jumped up. They began to almost run to the front to give their money. I still have it. It's in this bowl. This is the entirety of the offering that they gave. There probably is less in American money than 100, 200 bucks. But you know what? I'll never spend that money. You know why? You remember in the scripture when David said, oh, if I could drink from the well again. And the Bible says that his mighty men broke through the enemy's line and they went and they got well water and they brought it back and they said, David, we have risked our life so that you can have a drink of the water that you wanted and the Bible says David took the water and he poured it on the ground why was he wasting no 
David was saying, it's too precious for me to drink. This money is too, it, it sits in my office and it reminds me daily of how blessed I am. Every time I see it, I remember, Lord, I need to be a person whose trust is in you because I was taught a lesson by Kenyans and Ugandans who willingly, joyfully gave some of them everything they had just to be a blessing.